Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Where We Are Today podcast. I'm Barney. I started this podcast as a way for me to connect with new, old, and existing friends that I've had for a while, one of whom I have on the call today. Uh, very, very excited. We met, met at Longwood, and um, he has a really, really cool story, so I'm excited to, to have him share. Praise Nabia. Welcome to the podcast, bro. How you doing? Good. It's good to be with you, Barney. How you been? Good man, praise, uh, praise, praise might be a senator one day. So I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to get his shine out there right now before he, uh, he runs for office. Uh, but I'm good, bro. Good, bro. Just, you know, hanging in there with everything going on. How are you? How are things? Things are, you know, things are doing, are doing all right. You know, I'm definitely, you know, if everything like still being somewhat shut down. Yeah. I, I definitely took everything for granted, being able to like <laughs> go yeah. to places and and like 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 I don't even like recognize people's faces because everybody's wearing masks and stuff and like I'm you know it's I'm just I'm happy I'm you know I'm safe my family's doing good but you know no complaints staying healthy you know staying negative testing negative but staying yeah, positive staying so. positive that's great I know. Um, so for those that do know praise or don't know praise, praise always puts up these snap stories and Instagram stories of his little brother Josh, asking him to go get Burger King or McDonald's. So I know you're happy you're not in that disgusting playhouse at McDonald's picking up food and chasing his, his ass around, right? <laughs> he thinks I'm like the rich. He thinks like I'm a millionaire because like he he just whenever he's hungry. It's McDon- now it's gotten worse. Now he wants more expensive things. He wants Chipotle, Chick Fil A. It's that know, Drake line I- in that song. It's like you expensive. <laughs> you know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It mean when I was in college, when he was like young, like three He's or like, four, what, like five? My- yeah, three or four, five. Yeah, when I we were still at Longwood, and I would be home for like the breaks. He, you know, it, he would be fine with like a McChicken. Yeah. And like a small fry. But now, you know, he wants a Chipotle bowl. He wants Panda Express. He's going into the $10, $15 meals now. But, you know, granted, I'm making better money now. But still, he's he's gotten bougie. I don't lie to you, Barney. So. Josh needs to um, Josh needs to open up a strip mall when he gets older and just have all his favorite <laughs> foods in a food court. You know what I'm saying? Just go pick a different food court restaurant to eat at every day. Um, no, that's great, bro. I'm glad. I'm glad everyone's doing well. So. Praise uh, for for those that do know you and don't know you. Um, you know, talk about where where you're from, where your family's from. Uh, you're an immigrant, just like me and some other people I've had on the podcast. But really want to dive into, you know, how you got to the states and where your family's from, who you are, what what made you come to Longwood, and then and, and go from there. All right, so it's it's a it's a long story. So I really. I don't even know where to start, but I guess, you know, I'll start from, from actually the very, very beginning. So I was born in Zimbabwe, um, but, you know, my parents from Zimbabwe, whole families from Zimbabwe. And I think back in 1999, you know, my dad was actually working for the Zimbabwe government. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a, he was a principal and in Zimbabwe, all the schools are ran by, you know, the Zimbabwe yeah. government. Yeah. And he noticed that like things were starting to get really bad in Zimbabwe. Like before Zimbabwe was actually a great country, you know, um, it was ran by, you know, Robert Mugabe who started off as a good leader, but like grew obsessed with power. Yeah. And <clears throat> Zimbabwe kept getting worse. And my dad, you know, heard rumors and didn't want to take the chance. So he was like, you know, we're going to go to America and we have family members living in Michigan. And he, you know, he decided, like, let's just pick up our things and let's just go to Michigan, uh, where my, uh, where an uh, uncle of his, who they grew up together, was in Berrien Springs, Michigan. So, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, he went first to make sure it was safe, and my mom and I, like, stayed b- behind, and everybody in our village, we stay kind of like in a village, kind of like a neighborhood, but like everybody knows each other. Everybody, yeah. you know, stays with each other. And they all thought my dad had left my mom. 
because in Zimbabwe, there's rumor if your husband goes to America and leaves you and the child behind, he's basically has like left the family. So, you know, but my mom was like, no, I still talk to him and we're going to go and we're going to, you know, move to America, you know, with him. But I was like four years old at the time. And they all wanted me to stay in Zimbabwe. And because I was a common practice that like the parents go to America and the kids stay behind right. and and they want me to be raised by my grandmother. And my mom was like, absolutely not. Like, She's she didn't know if I was going to. Yeah. Yeah. Because she didn't know if I was going to be safe, if I was going to be fed. So, you know, we, we, we go, it was like November, 1999. And I'm with my mom. We fly over, we land at the O'Hare Chicago yep. airport. And it's like dead winter. And like, Frick, it's, it's cold, bro. <laughs> man, cold, I, bro. when they call Chicago the windy city, like they're not kidding. Like the weather <laughs> there is, <laughs> is like no joke. And we're coming from like sub-Saharan Africa where we don't have jackets. Like yeah. we have, we yeah. have maybe, I wouldn't even call it like a coat or like a windbreaker. Like we're coming, like, I think I, if I remember, I was wearing like a, like a long sleeve dress shirt with some, some ripped up khaki pants and my mom and I, we land, we are freezing and we're like inside and we're like shivering. And I remember like this family, like saw us, you know, saw obviously we're not from America and they actually right. bought us coats. Yeah. Yeah, they actually, they were nice coats too, from what my mom told me, like, I don't know if they were North Faces or what, but they actually bought us coats, and so, eventually, you know, from Chicago, you know, we drove to Michigan, stayed, um, and I grew up in, in Berrien Springs, Michigan, and it's basically, you know, how I tell people from here in Maryland who don't have a good idea of what Michigan is, it's like the other side of Lake Michigan from Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I grew up there, you know, a few of my brothers, uh, they were born in Michigan and, you know, went to elementary school there, learned how to read there. Um, and then, so stayed there. And then when I got to high school, I actually went to a boarding school. Yeah, and I did not I, know that. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people don't know that about me. It's, it's like, then they start saying, okay, now it makes sense because of the way I carry myself. But yeah, I went to a boarding school for a year. And when in I told Michigan? people- That was in Michigan? It was actually in Ohio. Okay. Yeah, I went to a boarding school. It was called Mount Vernon Academy. It was like outside of Columbus, okay. Ohio. Yeah. And when I told people I went to a boarding school, they, you know, they assumed Zoe 101, PCA, you know, it's like luxurious, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. But it yeah. was nothing like that at all. Like it was, from what I remember, you know, it was a pretty looking campus, but it was a ton of rules. I mean, you're in you Ohio, know. bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're not you're not in Orange County. You're you're in Ohio. Like, yeah, rural Ohio. Like at right. at that like, and it was rough. And I mean, I guess we can get into like my experience there. You know, because it it wasn't, you know, it was very like a Christian based boarding school. But you know, obviously, I was bullied because I was small and all that kind of yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, you were the oldest, right? You're I was the oldest, child. yeah. Okay, that's the same for me. And yeah. then, would you say, like, religion was a big part of your life growing up? Like, Oh, yeah. You, yeah? Yeah, people, like, don't know. Like, I'm actually very religious. And it's because, like, you know, a lot of people who grow up from, like, a religious family, like, they tend to leave because yeah. it was, like, forced on them. But, like, for me and, like, seeing my parents and how, you know, we're Seventh-day Adventists, and which is, like, a denomination of Christianity, they, it kind of was, like, a motivational tool. You know, something, like, they took the Bible as, like, yeah. inspiration for them to, like, work hard and to, like, you know, work long hours while go to school. You know, it was kind of like a a mental health thing, something for them to just to... It's See a guidance thing, in. right? It's a faith exactly. Because that's really interesting. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's really interesting. Because no, like, I think you know my family in India—they're pretty religious. Um, mm -hmm. 
but the spirituality and the faith aspect of it was definitely enhanced when we came to the States because we didn't have any family here. We were the only ones. We still yeah. are the only ones. Like the rest of our entire family is out in, um, is out in India. And there's like mm-hmm. family friends and really, really distant cousins that I call uncles and aunts. Like that's just, you know how it is. That's just how it works. Yeah. Like, that's, but yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense because it, maybe it's not as like forced or as, um, like shoved down your throat as like, this is what you have to follow, but it's like, yeah. here's the path that, that will give you the strength and the guidance to, to figure out whatever the hell you're going through right now. Right. Exactly. And it's like, that's, that's kind of how I always saw it. And when life really started to challenge me, you know, that's like what I leaned on, especially like in high school. And, you know, I remember some of like my darkest times, like rejection and bullying and just being different because like I went to school with majority white students and I stood out and then going to school with majority African-Americans and minorities, I still stood out because, you know, I carry myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't from from remembering back, like I never really saw like a therapist. I always went to like a pastor or like some, a leader in the church. And, you know, a lot of people think that they would just hit me with like Bible verses, but in a way they would show me a Bible for verse and kind of make, incorporate it of what, what I was dealing with then and now, which in a way was very therapeutic. So I guess that's, you know, you know, coming from a religious family, I think, especially when I talk to my friends that come from religious families, I guess that's, that's the, like the difference I experienced. And I think it's helped me be like a better person. It's helped me be kind to people and treat people and try to be Christ-like in a way like that. So yeah, I guess that's, that's how my experience was coming from like a deeply like religious family. Right. Right. No, that's cool. That's cool. So you went to boarding school for a year in, in, Mm -hmm. in Ohio and then I'm guessing after that, it just didn't work out and you're you ready to go back home? Yeah, so when I went to boarding school, my parents were still living in Michigan and I boarded in Ohio. And my dad actually got a job in D.C. At, as a, He graduated from nursing school um, and got like a higher paying job working as a nurse at GW in uh, D.C. And he always wanted to live in Maryland. So while I was finishing up, I think, my first semester they had moved you know to uh, Gaithersburg Maryland yeah. and my mom you know didn't have a job so and obviously boarding school it's like 16,000 a year yeah. so it's it's costly so they you know they couldn't afford it so my sophomore year I started going to you know a public school in Maryland and we didn't live in like a great we didn't live in a great neighborhood at all actually from what I remember and you know i started going you know to the high school there and it was just totally different were you in pg county i was in montgomery county yeah okay yeah the next county next door yeah yes it was it was different from like what i remember like just i remember it being super crowded and people just dressing differently and like just like cuss words everywhere hearing the n-word everywhere you went which is like (laughs) something like coming from like rural michigan to like you know dc metro area or a boarding school in in rural ohio it was like i don't know if it was like a culture shock but it was like the first major one i think i experienced especially like being like 16 and it was different too it's different too like it's it's completely different type of lingo. Like that's um, my friend and I talk about it often because he was like, yo, I was on a date with somebody. They were from the DMV and one of her friends called and she's like, kill Mo. And then he was like, I haven't heard that in like five years since I left. And so the, the lingo is definitely different. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm hip or, you know, it's, it's just things I was like, what is I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, it was it was definitely again like adjusting to boarding school was a challenge and obviously we'll get into that, but it was even a bigger mountain to climb adjusting to the DMV, especially being a clear I guess outsider in a way. Yeah. <laughs> well you've you've been in a you know, probably growing up in rural Michigan it's different. You've been in a rural setting for what? A good 10 years of your life and then boarding yeah. school obviously kind of I don't even want to call it polished that's what I said earlier but you, you talk and walk a different way in a, in a boarding school in general right oh yeah and then you come back to public schools which are completely different across the nation but especially mm-hmm. in the DMV area as you get closer to the city it's completely different so that had to be a big big change um, oh yeah as well that yeah and then you know finishing up high school and I'm I'm trying to I wanted to get away like from the area I wanted to start fresh because you know my experience wasn't the best so I wanted to start a new leaf and I wanted to I wanted to find a small school where you know I could get that one-on-one with the professor and I didn't want to go you know to a school where there's 500 students in one class and like yeah I wanted to know who my professors were and I wanted to get that one-on-one help. And, you know, I didn't get into the first school I applied to, I think it was Salisbury. But then I, you know, I was applying randomly and I applied to Longwood. I got in and I was like, why not? You know, yeah. and it's, it's, I, it was weird. It's weird telling you this because from what I remember, I had a gut feeling. I was like, something about me was saying, just go. Like, mm-hmm. Just, you know, don't even think about it. Just got in, just go. I'm sure it'll work itself out. And that's exactly what I did. So in a way, going to Longwood was also an adjustment because you know Longwood. Longwood is very different from, so. <laughs> from, yeah, I mean, you're going schools, back so. to your, your, to an extent, you're uh, going back to your rural boarding school vibes. You can get through campus and, five minutes by walking exactly (laughs) there's nothing there yeah no i feel that i feel that yeah so i mean in a nutshell that's that's basically it that's you know how i that's where i was from so when people ask me you know i i tell them you know i'm originally from zimbabwe but i grew up in michigan and that's what i tell tell people that's how i found longwood it was you know me wanting to start a new chapter and you know get me into somewhere where i could really succeed in life and to be surrounded by people that also are motivated and also want to succeed in life as well yeah so no, that's uh it's really interesting because yeah longwood is a special place i like just as much as i clown on longwood like if i didn't go to longwood i think i'd be a completely different person you feel me like it's just the right place for people to go and grow. And I think college is that in a lot of different ways, but for some reason there's just this like magic around Longwood where it's like, you can be whoever you want to be, whatever you want to be and however you want to be in this setting where like you can really make your mark. Um, That was like the really looking back, you know, I'm about to be five years graduated. I'm old as hell. But, um, (laughs) I'm like behind you. Yeah, yeah, you're a couple <laughs> years behind, but that's um that's really interesting. So, I mean, you so you come to Longwood, um, you know, you were undeclared at first. I remember that mm-hmm. you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do, and then you chose biology because you want to get into medicine. Can you talk a little bit more about why, what or why medicine was the path that you wanted to go down? Yeah, so it all actually, it has a weird start to it. So I actually tried to do nursing. Okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, my you know, my parents being immigrants, they're very practical. They're very, you know, they, you know, one will say, I, I always hear my, like, my friends, like, here that were born here in America that, like, go up for your dreams and for what's your passion. My parents are, like, go for what, We'll go for the demand and go for what pays the bills. I know, you know exactly that same <laughs> feeling. 
Like, you know, like yeah, you. I want to be an artist. That doesn't fly in the household. <laughs> like, make your exactly. money, then go be an artist. Go figure out how yeah. to make money first. Yeah. Yeah, their happiness stems from like, you know, can you afford, you know, the rent? Can you get a car? Can you put food on the table? So, they wanted me to do nursing. So in high school, I was actually, you know, studying to be a nursing assistant, mm. just to see, you know, how how I would fit in like the nursing realm. So, you know, I would go, we would go to nursing homes and we would change diapers for, you know, we call them residents, but the senior citizens that were living at the nursing homes, we would change diapers, we'd give them showers, you know, bed, bed baths and that like basically nursing. And, and I remember uh, we took a trip to the hospital up in Fairfax mm. and I watched an open heart surgery um because at that hospital you know they let people they let the public actually watch the surgeries and man i think that's you know becoming a doctor is something i thought about as a child but kind of like shrugged it off as like one of those unrealistic fantasies kind of like you know being playing in the nba or right um you know being an astronaut and I saw realistic jobs like being a nurse or being like a teacher. Like I thought to me, those jobs in the situation I was in, those jobs were more attainable. To go for. Yeah, exactly. Right. So when we went to the hospital, we we watched the surgery, and I remember it was a it was a coronary valve replacement, and mm. it was like a two hour long surgery. And I remember that was the only time in my life where only two hours where I wasn't on my phone or I didn't get up to use the bathroom, I was just mesmerized by, yeah. yeah, by the surgeon who was just doing things like I had never even seen before. It's one thing to see it on TV, but to see it like up close, I was just taken away. It was like- It's poetry in motion, bro. It's poetry in motion, like literally, like it's a different type. I, uh, <clears throat> when I was in high school, I, <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor before I started business. I think you and I have talked about this before. I yeah. came to Longwood wanting to study biology because, like, <clears throat> we had a family friend of ours who's a pretty big cardiothoracic surgeon here at BCU, and mm -hmm. he was kind enough to let me go in and, you know, student shadow him one day while he was doing surgery, obviously. Like, I was in the OR. Um, I wasn't in there, but, like, I was in the back, like, not really – by, but I could see on the TVs in the OR like what what was happening, and I was just like, "Yo, like they're literally taking out someone's heart and replace like replacing it or like replacing a valve or like a triple bypass." And I can't remember what it was, yeah. but I was locked in because I was just like, "There's, it's literally poetry in motion." I was like, "Just how, you know, someone writes an incredibly well done book or a poem like that's what they're doing every time they open somebody up. It's crazy." To think about like, exactly and to think that that's like a job that you get paid and paid well for just right. was like mind-blowing and I'm watching this and like I don't want to you know nothing against like CNAs or GNAs but I don't want to you know give showers and and give bed bath like I want to I want to do what he's doing like I want to yeah. do that like that's that's like that like caught my eye and I think it like woke something like within me like that would be amazing just to come in every morning and to perform that kind of surgery and then see patients for the rest of the day was was cool and and I remember you know the rest of the program we we, we went to our hospital and kind of mm -hmm. did like the more clinical side of being a certified nursing assistant and usually we're we're grouped up with the nurse but um Another, one time when I was doing the cardiology unit, I was actually grouped up with a cardiologist instead of a nurse. And I was, I'll never forget him. His name was Dr. Bernard. And he was mm -hmm. performing a procedure and he actually like let me shock a patient's heart and revive a heart like during the procedure he was doing. And like he looked at me like in the eyes, shook my hand and was like, you know, you just saved, you know, this person's life. Good job, doctor. And like in high school where like nothing was going well for me, or I was constantly being bullied. I think that was the happiest experience 
I think I had ever felt in that time. It's like that validation. Yeah. Someone, someone saw the potential that they that you had in you, and kind of said, "Give it a shot." Like that was exactly. your like go moment right there. Like, okay, this is what I want to do. Exactly. So I remember just being happy like all day and like going, you know, going home and, and telling my dad and my parents like, you know, I want to be, I want to be a doctor. And I remember. And telling people at church, you know, I want to be a doctor. I remember, you know, their immediate reaction is they just started laughing. They're like, you know, like prayers, like get real for a second. Like, you know, you can't be a doctor. Like, you know, it's, it's long, you know, it's expensive, you know, you know, they, they, and I know people might be saying like they're being mean, but in a way it's that practicality, you know, they were, they, they, my dad and my parents being nurses, they've seen residents and they see the work that they go through and they see that it's hard for people that look like me to really go through. It's a risk, right? And yeah. like, that's when I told my parents I wanted to be a doctor. I think it's a little bit different because in the Indian community, a lot of us are doctors. Yeah. <laughs> most, of us, most of us are doctors, but, <clears throat> you know, just given the circumstances my family was in um mm -hmm. it just didn't make sense they were like look yeah. like you know i think some people when they came here from india or other immigrants even from other countries like they kind of have a foundation or they're already coming in as doctors so they're making a decent amount of money I, i'm not taking away from the struggles that you face at all but yeah. you know you're maybe a level or two above everybody else that kind of is trying to do what you're doing we were kind of at the bottom of that right like exactly my dad came for the first you know five years that we were in the states he was making like 45 50k and mm -hmm. then money like i mean like money was always tight money was never there for a lot of different things but um we you know for them when i told them they were like why don't you do something that you can make some money quick you can live a good life you know, you can start, you can buy a house when you're 28 to 30 uh, or like you can buy a car and like you can pay off your student loans and all those different things. You don't want to go through 15, 20, like 15 years of your life to get to a point where you just start making money. I, I get, I'm sure that's what it was like talking to your parents and people from church. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and I listened to them because I mean, they made, they made a good point. And so when I got to Longwood and I applied, and like you said, I was undecided, but taking nursing classes to get into the nursing program. And I remember, like, I tried, you know, my freshman year, you know, studying hard and like really applying myself something and, and going to office hours, doing all these things to get into the nursing program. And hopefully, you know, in down, down the line, going back to school and potentially studying medicine or maybe, you know, becoming a practitioner and the fall going into my sophomore year I got denied mm -hmm. um to the nursing program and I actually almost left Longwood and to pursue nursing that. somewhere else I remember that because Will many people know Will many people know mm -hmm. him as Beans but mm -hmm. there was a time where he was like dude praise we knew you like you were always around like mm -hmm. started hanging out with us as soon as you finished LSEM right mm -hmm. and i remember us like there's a couple times that year your sophomore year i think it was our uh our, our senior year mm -hmm. you're constantly in your ear like yo you, you can figure it out like you don't need to go anywhere like you just got to stick with it uh, you know you can figure it out because you were you were looking to apply right before we left and we were trying to keep you keep you there yeah exactly so and it's it's a lot of people you know a lot of people don't know that but like yeah almost you know went back to Maryland or go somewhere else because and I remember being so devastated about not getting in because I had to to put in so much time and so much effort because everybody freshman year I was surrounded with was going out and was rushing into fraternities and sororities but here I am like in the library like taking anatomy and just and making all these sacrifices and like falling short you know it really took a damper on my confidence and i guess 
I had failed at so many things before that. I think this was kind of like the final like nail on the coffin to me. But yeah. I remember talking to, you know, one of my advisors, Miss Ledger, and she kind of shout out to Miss Ledger. She she was like, you know, don't have to go anywhere. Like you've you've got a good foundation here at Longwood, you know. I had just gotten news that I'd gotten a job as an RA, which at the time was very difficult to do. It was getting yeah. a job as an RA. And she was like, you know, come back, study biology and, you know, finish. And then that way, who knows what you can do? You know, you might not even decide to do, you might decide that you don't want to do nursing and you might decide that you want to, you know, go to medical school. And I think that is exactly what happened. And I came back and I studied biology and, I got accepted into a research program um, yeah. and I, I had never gotten the prison program, which is tough to get into. And I had never gotten accepted to anything before like that ever and started yeah. doing research and you know, I started shadowing and I was like, you know what, maybe it was some holistic sign that, you know, nursing probably just wasn't my avenue, maybe, you know, medicine, is an avenue because it relit that spark I had in high school of shadowing and doing research. So I guess in a way, you know, that's what continued that drive for me to go back to go to medical school and to work in healthcare settings and to help people. So that's a, it's really interesting because yeah, you're right. There's not that many people that probably know that about you. I think Beans and I saw it firsthand because you were always around. I think mm-hmm. they saw a little bit of it too because you were always around us. Um, There's probably a handful of people that knew, but it's tough, man. I mean, when I when I switched majors from biology to information systems, that was like, on the surface, I was like good, but I was like letting go of something that I wanted to do like since I was 12 years old and you know what I mean like one it didn't make sense because school was going to take longer and I just couldn't afford to be in school for that long Mm -hmm. Um, especially playing tennis like my schedule was all wacky because I couldn't take organic chemistry in the spring which meant that like I would have to stay back because of the way the cycle is with the classes like years worth of work that I would probably have to do if not a little bit more Mm-hmm. Um, and that really devastated me too. Cause I was just like, man, like, you know, I wasn't doing terrible in school. I was doing fine, but yeah. that, that whole thing or the whole notion of maybe you need to go do something else and like figure this out later. That sucked. That really like yeah. to this day, that was like really, really hard for me to digest. So I can completely understand that feeling, especially after nursing school not getting in you have to kind of pick yourself back up and start from scratch right yeah exactly because you know i think some people remember i was actually taking nursing classes and Mm -hmm. i was in you know i was i took nursing 100 and i was in and a lot of people thought i was in the program because i was in some of these nursing classes and you know i remember everybody you know, wanting to know if I had gotten in and feeling that, that like hurt of having, yeah, of being yeah. like, no, nah, I didn't. And they'd be like, what? You know, I got in, like, why didn't you not get in? And it's, it's, and then everybody starts talking, you know, Longwood is a small school, people like to it's talk. It's a comparison thing at that point. They're like, can you yeah. believe that so-and-so, like, this happened, happens everywhere, you know what I mean? But at Longwood, it was definitely amplified because that's <laughs> small the school was, Yeah. Exactly. So, but then again, it's like it all worked out in a way Um, because I was able to, you know, the jobs I've had after graduation and, you know, the experience I've had and the job I'm doing right now and like about to take my MCAT soon. It's kind of like, it's funny, like you just don't know, you know, you, you always say like life is a race. And in a way, you don't know how that race ends. You just, you have it in your mind that like, this is what I got to do. And I'm going to work my tail off to get there. 
but in actuality it's it's you know you're running in zigzags you don't know where it's gonna <laughs> lead you yeah yeah i mean that is a very very true statement especially i think in college you don't really understand it because there's yeah. like so many other things going on and you're just kind of like i'm gonna figure it out when i graduate like <laughs> like i'm just going to do what i want to do right now but you have to just keep going you know like Kobe always says this and like other people I've listened to recently are it's like I just I really I let go of what was happening at the end and just kind of tried to focus on what I wanted to do and just kept doing that over and over again Mm -hmm. so I'm a big believer now like especially in the last I want to say like since 2019 I'm a big believer now that like you just gotta get up every day do what you're passionate about like do the things you're passionate about do what excites you, follow your dream or dreams in a sense, mm-hmm. and just try and figure it out. Because the more you start putting this like attainable, I want to be here, or I want to get there, or I want to do this, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you just feel like you're carrying the world's like burden on your shoulders. Because there's so many people that you have to say, nah, it didn't happen to or like there's yeah. so many people that you have to say, yeah, but then like they might have not gotten in or done something that they wanted to do. So it's like, um, you know, you want to be open to, to everything, but kind of attached to, to nothing and just see exactly. where, where it kind of goes. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, after that situation, you know, it's easy to think that things went up, but you know, it, it didn't life continued and life continued being tough. And, you know, just working two jobs to, you know, afford to go to school and trying to keep up that GPA so that, you know, you could be a competitive applicant. And then on top of that, you know, I was, I was junior and senior class president and that came with its own stresses Responsibilities, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so it really when I, when I look back at like my college experience, you know, and people sometimes think I had like a great college experience, but in actuality, you know, it was at times I put, like you said, put a lot of pressure on myself. And because I was known throughout campus, every like slip up or every failure, I felt like my world was going to come to like a complete, like, collapse so <laughs> i felt the and, same thing bro because not to that extent but like it's just a small school you were definitely everyone knew you i was just kind of i was around i was just there but when i was applying for jobs mm-hmm. it was it was the same thing because yeah. i always kept telling people i'm not gonna be in virginia <laughs> you won't catch yeah. me in virginia after i graduate <laughs> you know like and that pressure that I put on myself, I mean, it all worked out. I ended up in Chicago. It's been the best thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, that's when I started seeing that, like, maybe, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm superstitious as hell now. So, yeah. like, whatever I have in my head, probably only 10% of it gets out. <laughs> and I'm like, evil eye, bro. It's a real thing. I'm telling you. Like, it's exactly. a real thing. There's some people that want you to succeed truthfully, and there's some people that are looking to see your downfall. So, no, I completely get it because, like, when when you're in a small school and people know who you are, what your aspirations are, you carry a lot of that burden with you every step of the mm-hmm. way. And every move that you make, you got to think about two, three, four, five times. Like, is this exactly what I want to do? But, like, for me, that also extended to my family because yeah. <clears throat> it was like, okay, I'm doing this this thing that they wanted me to do from the jump. But yeah. for parents, like you said at the beginning, that stability, that, that co- the, what, for immigrant parents especially, the confidence mm-hmm. that they can, their, their son or daughter or, or, or child is self-sufficient in some way, shape, or form is mm-hmm. like the biggest win for them from coming from a country to, to being in the U.S. is like, can they just not need to rely on me and our family for a lot of things and can do things on their own. Like that's the, the biggest moments of happiness that I've seen from my parents when they're like, okay, like he's kind of figuring it out. There's one less thing that 
we have to worry about, even though I didn't expect them to, but they always will. Right. Exactly. 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 Yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, and I always like leaned on my parents because of that. And I think the, you know, and, and people always think that like immigrant parents are like just tough or, yeah. or could be cruel to their kids. But I remember, and I don't think a lot of people know this either, but I almost didn't graduate on time. Mm. And I almost like didn't end up speaking at graduation. And there was an instance where, you know, the VP almost had to give like the speech because of, yeah, because of, I wasn't able to get all my classes in order. And thankfully I was able to, you know, get a summer class and able to work things out. So I could speak at graduation, but I remember at that time where I had to cope with the possibility that I wouldn't be speaking and everybody was looking forward to that. I developed severe anxiety and I remember going to my my dad and my mom and they could feel like something changed and me thinking I'm going to hear the nagging and the the you know you're a failure this they were like you know do what you got to do you know they they kind of incorporated that faith you know that that prayer that you know they've they used when they faced somewhat similar moments of us growing up and you they kind of took that like you know praise is now in a situation where he's kind of dealing with we used to deal with when we first came here so you know we're not gonna harp on him for we're not gonna say oh he wasn't doing what he wasn't supposed to be doing or he was just having too much fun it's like they could hear the tone of my voice that I'm really trying. I'm really putting a good foot forward. It's just life just really knocks you down. And Life being life, man. It's, it's, it's what it is, bro. Right? Exactly. exactly. So, you know, and, and again, it's, it's and, and I, you know, I saw, I saw a therapist because my anxiety was like very severe to a point where I couldn't focus. But again, it was very calming just to go back to read. Bible verses and to read certain stories of, you know, of how people, not in similar situations, but kind of how they dealt with it. And and I remember one pastor that told me, like, this is what prepares you for life yeah. moving forward. And this is you experiencing that type of pressure, that type of um, intensity. You know, Steve Harvey always says, pressure busts the pipe. Like, if you let your pressure destroy you or you let it build you for when you deal with even more pressure and I kind of harnessed that like motivational talk and again like I was able to use that and fuel that into finishing and graduating on time and honestly it all went into writing that speech um and and actually you know people to this day still talk to me about my graduation speech and it's like I wrote it because I knew that I wasn't going to, I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't supposed to be on stage coming from where I came from to stand in front of everybody to speak in front of the governor. And I knew that I was there and that I had support from everybody because I had the luxury of knowing so many people that were graduating and they all supported me. Even, you know, people that working at D hall, or from librarians to professors were like this big community to help this like immigrant from somewhere that from Zimbabwe that grew up differently. It kind of all harnessed and it kind of all fed into that uplifting moment of me giving that speech. So it, it's again, it's and, and, and that's kind of like what my parents were saying, like, don't let this moment like destroy you or the legacy you want to leave at Longwood. Like, like use it, pray and let it build you and, and inspire others. And Bro, I have and goosebumps I think, right now. Like that, oh. I have goosebumps. <laughs> like that's that's powerful, bro. Really. And but yeah, and then it's it's I have I've done a bad job of sharing that with people that I know need to hear. And that's 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 the big reason why I wanted to reach out to you and do this because 
a lot of people don't know this story and a lot of people don't know what's going on in the background. You know, they just think, oh, praise no all figured out. No one does. Yeah. Like, so, that, like, that was a big reason why I started this too because, like, a lot of the people that I've had on and will continue to have on, some of my closest friends, and I think I've spoken about it on one one podcast or another one where I said, um, you know, there was this line that I read where it was like, you know, my father always told me that, you know, you either have <clears throat> acquaintances or you have family. Mm. And like, to me, like 90% of the people that I come in contact with end up becoming family to me after I first meet them. You know what I mean? And exactly. each of those family members have a story to tell like you, like Deshaun, like other people that I've had on the podcast where everyone thinks everything is okay. Yeah. But, but everyone is similarly going through something that's very re- relatable to each other in just a different yeah. way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for you on the outside, you know, from looking at, looking at it from the outside, um, yeah, I mean, like everyone would have just been like, praise is fine. He's going to go be a doctor. Like, yeah. he's graduating on time. He wrote that speech. Like, that was a powerful speech. Like he's got to figure it out. But in reality, that was when you were just beginning the rest of your journey to figure out what was going to happen afterwards. Right. Exactly. And you know, being, there's like this mentality where men, you know, can't cry. They can't show emotion. I know you talked about with Deshaun, like, especially in the black community, you know, mental health, you know, is not really taken seriously. And like, you're not supposed to show weakness. And I was gripping with that too. Like I didn't, I didn't know who to confine to. I didn't know who to tell because I, again, I didn't want to seem weak. I didn't want anybody to know I was embarrassed. I didn't want that, that type of news to like be unleashed and have everybody talking about it, which would just throw more like fuel in the fire. So you know, again, like you said, you have family and you have acquaintances. And I remember my therapist told me, like, Praise, you have to start telling people what you're going through. Like, you have to, like, say, like, hey, can I talk to you? Can I, like, this is what's going on. Like, don't just keep it bottled up because yeah. pressure busts the pipe. And, like, I mean, it, that's, it's uh, going to just. Yeah, that's it. That's why I think for me more and more, like I'm a little bit vocal about like emotions and feelings or just how, like with, at least within my network, yeah. how I'm feeling. Because, I mean, that's, that's kind of how like bits got started when, when mm-hmm. we started bits is just like my mom was sick at the time. I was going through some stuff at the time, but the more I talked about, talked about it, the better I felt, at least with the people that I was close with. And that was the whole, yeah. the whole point of it was just like, you talk about the things that, you know, are generally looked down upon, but mm-hmm. you end up feeling like, you know what? People know my story. People know what I'm dealing with. I'm going to figure it out. And like, I'm not too worried about their reactions. If it's a bad reaction. Okay, cool. And people are going to react some type of way. But yeah. most of the time, what I started seeing was it was just support. Like you said, leading mm-hmm. up to that. it was just a lot of people being like, Hey man, got this. Hey, like, let us know what we can do. Like, how can we help? What can we do? All those different things. And just all like culminating into like, just this like powerful community type movement behind the scenes that I felt like, okay, I'll figure it out. I don't need to have it figured out today, but yeah. I will figure it out at some point. And I, that is like one thing I really like cherished about the, like the relationships that were like made at Longwood. Yeah. Because, like, it could be, like, little things, like, having, like, Larry take me out to dinner and yeah. just, you know, and, and just us talking about life and just, you know, him taking me to my favorite place in Farmville or, you know, playing FIFA with Jalen or, yeah. you know, you know, hanging out with Kevin. It's it's It was these, like, little things that, like, kind of remind you that, like, you have it's not just you, like, you're not in it alone, in a way, so, and again, like, 
Because it doesn't stop like after graduation. It got bad after I graduated as well. Yeah. And again, you know, I used, you know, I used that same, you know, routine mm-hmm. when I lost my job and living in Richmond, which I, which a lot of people again don't know about, but and we can get into it. But you know, yeah. I had to when I was facing that same type of pressure of how am I gonna pay rent? How am I gonna feed myself? You see me using the same type of you know formula that you worked different, different situation, different pressures. But again, it allowed me again to bounce back. This was the first job that you had that made you move to Richmond right yeah yeah so i you know i was working you know as a sleep technician in nova treating you know treating people with sleeping mm-hmm. disorders and i i wanted to live in richmond and you know dan will hit me up say hey you know we're looking for a third person um you know we know that you know you don't want to live at home and they were absolutely right i didn't you know i wanted to get out of the house yeah. I wanted to live, you know, not in like a big city like Chicago or Atlanta. Well, you were comfortable. Like happy... I mean, Rich, yeah, Richmond is a comfortable place to be. It's a happy medium. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we found an apartment in a great location, like near like downtown. And, you know, we had parking spots and near shops and all that kind of stuff. And um, there was a connect that I met when I was at Longwood. She was a director of a lab. And she was able to get me a job as a chemist. Mm-hmm. Now, when I, I had originally applied to do vaccines, but, you know, she was in charge of their, you know, chromatography chemistry division. So I became a chemist and, you know, I'm, I was terrible, like at organic chemistry. I wasn't terrible. Like I, you know, I think I got a B or something, but, right. but chemistry is difficult as you know, like, you know, even the labs, the mass spectrometry, the chromatography, like all that stuff is difficult. And that was my full-time job. Like that's what I did nine to five. But like, I I took the time, I worked, you know, I, I buried myself in the information. And then I remember my supervisor coming up to me and say, praise, you're making little mistakes, uh, you know, and I'm thinking, like, what can I do? Like, is there any way we I can, like, fix it or I can address it or I can improve? Yeah. And she kind of just jumped to this narrative, like, it's not working out. And, you know, I didn't, it wasn't really a fireable offense, but she could make the claim to HR that, like, if you don't quit, you know, we'll just put a claim to HR that's saying that, you know, you're not meeting expectations and you'll have to find, you know, that you'll have to leave. And I remember just being taken back by it because I thought I was doing all the right things, getting along with people, working hard, getting the job done. But since it wasn't to their par, you know, I was hurt. And I remember resigning with not having a job. You know, I'm living in Richmond. I, you know, am in the city. I have no job. I have nowhere to turn. And I think, you know, do I go back to my old job and go back to my parents? Mm-hmm. Or do I find a job? Or do I try to find a job in Richmond? So obviously, I try to find a job in Richmond. Well, I yeah, try to look for a job in Richmond. And I was getting no luck. I was applying everywhere. And it's funny, I almost took a job at Burger King. No way. It's, it's, it's a weird story. So, which again, a lot of people don't know about. There was a Going up in Michigan, like, you have this, like, obsession for, like, Burger King, Wendy's, McDonald's. And chicken fries. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there was this one, there was this one Burger King I used to go to all the time. Um, and Deshaun will tell you about it. Like, I went there all the time because they had this deal, like, $5 Whopper meal. And it's, it's what I, and I didn't have a lot of money at that time. So I would go there, like, every other day because, you know, right. I couldn't afford to eat at, like, Whole Foods or anything extravagant like that so I would always go to that Burger King and this lady the manager was like you know you're always here you know do you do you need a job and she gave me the application and there was times where I think I filled it out and when rent was coming up I you know almost thought about actually working there just on the low just to pay some bills until I found something secure but yeah luckily I had a friend 
Saman, shout out to Saman. He was working at the governor's office. And I went to Saman. I was like, hey, man, like, this is the situation. I lost my job. I just need something. Until um, I figure it out. Until yeah. I figure it out. And he, Saman went to Kelly, who's the secretary of the Commonwealth. And I had grown close with her, you know, through some things, some work that I did for the former governor right. when I was at Longwood. And I think the next day, I get a call from her at seven in the morning and was like, hey, praise. Like, Saman told me what was going on. Like, you want to work here, you know, until you find something, you know, concrete. And you can start when you can even start today. And I remember telling like, Kelly, I'll be there in two hours. And I put on like my best clothes. Yeah. I walked two miles to the to the Capitol. And, you know, there I was like at the governor's office, you know, because I confined it with somebody what I was dealing with. Power of community, and, bro. It's the power exactly. of the community that you were talking about. You just never know when it's going to come back around. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and like to this day, like it almost brings me to like tears because I was literally at like my final limb. You know, they took me on. They hired me. I had no clearance. You know, they yeah. had done no background check on me, but I started working right then and there again. So I had money to pay rent, pay bills and stuff like that. So, like you said, power and community and it's it's something that like it feels so refreshing to like get that story off my chest yeah of like letting people know like thinking that oh my gosh praise is probably going to do these great big things where in actuality praise is still trying to you know figure it out as well and but luckily you know i had i had great connects and which you know networking is always i always stress to people that are graduating you know it's one thing to stay in the library but go out meet people like be kind to people because you never know what situation you're going to find yourself in that's a really really powerful thing because i think as you get older as i've gotten older Mm -hmm. it's like people remember even if it's the smallest thing that you've done or a conversation that you had with them that you um that you make them feel uh, in a good way they carry that with them forever you know what I mean? Um, exactly. I read, uh, or I was watching a video with Jim Carrey in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then one of the lines that he had was the effect that you, effect you have on others is the greatest form of currency there is. And that was like my light bulb moment. Cause I was just like, yeah. Cause I was just like, that makes so much sense. Right. We, mm-hmm. as a society tend to be, hierarchical or judgmental and everybody's that way no one's perfect i'm a part of that too but the meaningful one-on-one conversations and relationships if you just rip that away and you're just genuinely trying to understand who people are like that is the greatest form of currency that you have that's what got you the job that let, that let you pay your bills for like six and a half months or so exactly exactly and you know I just, like you said, and then and it was during the time where, like, there's this big political tension, and at that point, like, I just didn't care about any of that. I was like, because I had my own things going on, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be kind to whomever, no matter, like, if we don't agree, or if we, you know, pray differently, or if we voted for somebody yeah. differently like I'm just gonna treat everybody I encounter with dignity and respect and like you said that's what got me this job that you know kept me afloat for six months and yeah. and like it was it was honestly when looking back at it and seeing like how monumental it was and how the people I met I met like that you, know, you learned throughout what that I experience. Learned. Yeah. Yeah. And and meeting like with because I, I got to meet Governor Northam. I got to get to know him more personally because I saw him. I think I saw him like in passing, maybe like once a week, but not often, but meeting some of the secretaries 
you realize that they kind of went through the same thing mm-hmm. that they, you know, especially with Secretary Strickler that I'm uh, one of the, he's Secretary of Natural Resources for Virginia. He, you know, here I am from afar, you think here's a man that has it all together, that has everything figured out. But when I had my one-on-one with him, he was the same way. Like he was trying to figure figure it out too. And then they kind of see that they kind of see themselves in you. They see that like, man, like I was once praised or I was, I was where he was. Like, let me see what I can do. And if you're nice and you're respectful, you know, and you're kind, you know, you're not trying to hit them with like gotcha questions or political questions, which is, you know, which yeah. is the same thing I did with Governor Northam. They really go out of their way to help you out and look out for you. And, you know, looking back at it, like coming from where I came from, I never thought I would be knowing any governor or working in any right. office with that type of power. But, you know, that power in community and come the power of just being kind to people and leaving like a good impression on people's mind that when they think, when the name Barney comes up, like, yeah, Bar- he's a great guy. Like, I hope he's doing well. And, oh, like, Barney hit me up. He needs this. Like, without a question. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's what I always try to, like, tell my brothers. Like, always try to, like, leave a positive note in people's lives. Like, and, and if you slip up or if you do something offensive, address it, you know, apologize or do something to make it right. But that was, um, it was, it was a lot that I had to, to absorb. To yeah. In order to find, you know, the job that I used to have to the job I have now where I'm making more money, I'm able to focus on going back to school and, and, you know, hopefully continuing on becoming a doctor. And I think, you know, I speak with people all the time. I was like, you know, praise you've been rejected to medical school, nursing, master's programs, let go of jobs, and you're still at it. And I'm like, well, I think. There's no other option. Exactly. And I think when it gets tough, when I'm in that residency program, pulling those, you know, 27 hour or in a row. Yeah. I look at the time, I was like, I have to go through hell and back just to get here. There ain't no way I'm stopping now. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, you know. Look, yeah, look, I I usually end up talking a lot more than, than I have because I think what you've been saying is super important, super, super powerful. You know what I mean? It's just that, like, at an early point in your in your life or your general career, whether it was professional or, like, academic Mm-hmm. everyone faces these things but like you don't really have an option but to go and figure it out right exactly. that's i think the beautiful part about your story is that you you have put yourself in a position where like nothing's really going to phase you it's more so cool all right what's next <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. all right like it's a lot bro like i mean what you've had to go through from, from moving to sticking out like a sore thumb in multiple occasions, even mm-hmm. at Longwood, that was the case. That was the case for me at Longwood. There's not, exactly. there's maybe two other Indian people that were at Longwood when we were there. One of them being a professor. Um, yeah. And he was Sri Lankan. He wasn't even Indian. And so, um, no, I'm, uh, I'm proud to be your friend. I, I was like, this, thank you for sharing all of that because I think, you know, it it shows who you are and the character that you have and and what what you're trying to accomplish and like there's no there, there really is no option, right? Especially yeah. for a lot of people, is you just got to go figure it out. Whatever you need to do to get money in the door and food on the table while still being able to help others, like there's no other option but to keep trying. Exactly, like I mean, like I couldn't put it any better. And, you know, I'm proud to be your friend, too, Bernie. And I know, like, I'm still happy that, like, even though you live hundreds of miles away, that we can still do this. And that, yeah. like, like I said, it's been, this has been something I've always wanted to share, but sometimes was too embarrassed. Sometimes just wasn't, just didn't have the confidence. But I feel like for 
that like that young black little boy out there that's like wondering like when is my time gonna come or are things gonna get better i wanted to at least let this i guess episode being like it does get better you know yeah. just keep your head down you know it ebbs and flows and, it ebbs exactly. and flows it's peaks and valleys it's uh i'm, I'm really glad you said that because it's peaks and valleys sometimes exactly. you're gonna feel like you're at the top of the mountain but there's always something lurking around the corner that's gonna be like, nope, <laughs> you're back down here. But then you gotta climb yep. back up. It's peaks and valleys. So, praise. I appreciate you jumping on and sharing your story, bro. Like it, it was incredible. Thank you for thank you for sharing. So I always do this thing where like if people want to reach out or or just get in touch with you to just kind of learn how you navigated through things or just have mm-hmm. any questions about the stuff that you're working on. Yeah. If you want to drop the socials where they can find you, uh, LinkedIn or whatever it is. If you want to let them know how they can reach out to you and that'd be great. Yeah. So, um, you can find me on Twitter, praise underscore Numbia. Um, you can find me on Instagram, praise underscore Oh three. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, praise Numbia. I mean, I'm with, with the name like praise, I'm easy to find. Um, <laughs> and then hit me up on email. If you ever want to like have a, like sit down conversation, I'm, trying to do some mentoring um you know a couple people on LinkedIn have reached out to me like just just simple phone conversations or just motivational advice or sometimes if you want to get my opinion on you know what you're going through or what route to take whether it's you know going to college or you know going to medical school or um I know I help people find job in industry work so you can email me at praise p-r-a-i-s-e nym at yahoo.com so i'm always on my email and um hit me up whenever um you know i always i always try to make time just to help to help people out because people in big places took time to to help me out as well so whatever i can yeah well praise appreciate you bro thank you for jumping on um really appreciate you sharing everything and be well be safe and and we'll catch up soon Likewise, man. Love you, man. Thanks for, Love you thanks too, for bro. having me on. Absolutely.